0: Better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
1: Hi guys, Jack Speargo here with another episode of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Monday, February the fourth, 2019. And it's episode 2374 of the Survival Podcast. Since it's Monday. Listener feedback show. This is where you send me your emails. You send it to jack at the dot Jack at the dot Make sure you put TSPC in the subject line, and then you know when in your email, give me your 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 idea, your question, your thought, whatever up front. Hit the return key once or twice, and then give me the details. That way, it'll get through my screening process more likely and get on the air. Here's what we got today. We have some expert council changes, and I got a call coming for new members. I have a um, an email about being a polymath. We talked about that last week, which is a renaissance, man. Somebody excels at many things, and how that correlates with something we call pattern recognition. And big online media is failing. I found this article that uh, John from Moore Park sent me, and it explains how online publishers should kind of follow a Netflix model and aggregate their stuff or whatever, and I... I, it, it's kind of in response to like BuzzFeed and Huffington Post and all recently having to lay a bunch of people off, and I, I think what it shows is that people really don't understand why online media, big online media, is failing. Uh, they really don't understand that at all. Uh, next up, thoughts on what the term "support" means for groups of people like teachers, law enforcement officers, etc., and the conflict that some people feel as they learn more about the real world. Uh, and, con- and think about concepts like anarchy, et cetera. And I, I think this is one of those things that sometimes maybe people people come at from the wrong way, and they they think of it as taking a side, and they don't even think about well, what does support mean. Well, you know, I support. Well, h- how are you doing that, right? You know, do your parents support you? Uh, it, you know, does what would that mean that they they they, they kind of cheer you on, or are they paying your bills? We'll, we'll get into that when we get there. Uh, I am once again being called an asshole, and once again, I'm very happy about it. Uh, Making cheese. Guy asked about making cheese, and I'm going to tell you how to make it with sous vide. Yeah, it's really easy. I'm going to give you a great video you can go check out. Um, We're going to talk about how one state raising the minimum wage can affect another state that's not so stupid as to do something like that. And we're going to talk about that and how that can affect the state that is not being stupid especially people that live near the border and operate and run businesses near that border. Uh, we're going to talk about remineralizing soils today. I had a question on that since the word came up last week. And in that note, kind of just falling right in with it, we're going to talk about using sweet feed as a soil amendment. If you don't know what sweet feed is, don't worry. We'll, uh, we'll get to it when we get there. Uh, navigating the coming changes in public education. And why does 40% of America still live one paycheck from poverty. There's an article out about that, and it's written the way that most things are written in the media, as though this is something new. I remember being a kid in high school. Yes, that was the 1980s, because I am old. Um, and and reading and hearing about this, because we had actually some pretty decent teachers back when I was in school, and uh, we did talk a lot about current events. And I remember hearing this statistic in, in one of our economics classes, And specifically being directed at us, hey, look, don't do this, dummy. This is how most people live. So we're going to talk about not just what it means, but why it's still going on. And we'll get to all of that more in just a moment. Before we get to all that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is RidgeWallet.com. Look, guys, RidgeWallet is great, man. Um, I I really enjoy the kind of minimalistic life I live now using my RidgeWallet. Uh, I never realized how uncomfortable a big lumpy billfold on your back of your ass was when you're driving and sitting and stuff like that until, you know, I got the Ridge Wallet. The other thing is I did notice because there were times I like, I'm going to take this thing out and sit here. And then, you know, you get in the store and your wallet is in your cubby hole of your vehicle and you have to go back to get it. Or you get in your car and you leave and you realize halfway down the road you don't have your wallet. And you're going to get pulled over by John Law and busted for driving without a license. And you don't want to have money for wherever you were going anyway. Then you go bang, get it. Um, Moving to Ridge Wallet, that just doesn't happen anymore. I forget it's there until I need it, and it protects me from identity theft. And Ridge has some other really great products out there that you can take a look at on their website. And they support the MSB and give you 10% off. So check them out today at RidgeWallet.com. Next up, ButcherBox. Guys, uh, you know me and food. You, I mean, really, you know me and food. And and so when when ButcherBox came to me, I'm like, you know, this sounds like a good thing, but I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, Quality is so important to me, and anything that I recommend, and like, well, let us send you a box of meat. Well, do you think I was going to say no? So I let them send me a box of meat. I'm like, this is great, just high quality product. Uh, we worked it out with them, brought them on as a sponsor. They've been with us now over a year. Tons of happy people out there in the audience dealing with Butcher Box. Um, and I mean, again, when when I hear people are unhappy, I hear people are unhappy, guys, because I'm so easy to get to. And uh, so I just know they're doing a the, the great job for me. They're doing that for everybody else out there. I have really great product. Check them out today, ButcherBox.com. And an MSB member, yeah, you can get $10 off an order. That means that every year you save over $120 if you get a monthly box from ButcherBox, which is more than twice what it costs to be an MSB member. So they are just a great supporter all around. Check them out today, ButcherBox.com. Real quick, before we get to your feedback, I want to remind you about the Member Support Brigade. Sign up, become a member of the site, and you will get a bunch of discounts, and it will pay for your membership and then some, and you'll support the show, and it's 18 cents an episode. That's all I'm going to say about it today. Let's rock on into uh, the main stuff we want to talk about today. I want to start off with expert council. So I am making an announcement uh, as to the structure of the council itself, and there may be more uh cuts if you want to call them that going forward with some people that just don't want to get off the pikers list sometimes i think it's just piking sometimes it's life events these two i'm going to tell you about now um are, are definitely kind of a life event thing so uh i am announcing today that the following two individuals will not be on the council any longer charles the humble mechanic and dan omen uh our retired law enforcement officer um Dan, I just don't get answers from. I know he went through a really painful divorce and he had some problems in his life. And, you know, if he wants to come back and help us out in the future, he will always be welcome to. Um, but we're just, I get questions, I don't get answers. And I just think he's got things going on in his life. And so we are going to uh, announce that today. As far as Humble Mechanic, he's a great guy, friend of the show. We talk all the time on Instagram. Um, but just the sheer demands of what he's doing, his travel, consulting, etc., since he's gone full time into the world of, you know, kind of being the online face of the, of the, the honest mechanic, he, he has time constraints. And so I, I don't think maybe some people realize the time commitment because it's, yeah, it's only maybe two segments a month for every council member to do. And that's five to, you know, eight minutes uh, per segment. But most of, the, most of them are not podcasters. They're not people that get on the air and do this stuff every day. So while you can throw a question at me and I can just spit you out an answer and, or maybe even do five minutes of research, a lot of our, our folks, they put some real effort into it. So we're um, we just going to move on from that. And, 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 and I want to bring onto the council a law enforcement officer. So if you are a law enforcement officer specific, I mean, kind of the best thing is if you're retired um, or if you're active duty and you want to use a pseudonym, a fake name, I'm fine with that. You know, we can call you officer nobody or whatever uh, because I want you to be able to speak freely. Uh, But if you're interested, email me, TSPC expert in the subject line and tell me, you know, that. And I would like a professional mechanic. I mean, I know I was a mechanic in the military, but that was a long time ago and I worked on giant diesel trucks. Big giant machine I the mean, cylinders you can stick your head inside of. So I mean I, I, I okay as a mechanic, but I really like having uh, those two resources available to us. I've also thought that you know it might be a good idea for us to have a lawyer, an attorney that can can talk about things. Though that seems like a good idea. And if you if there's anything you do that you think you could bring enough um, information to us to to be part of the council, and you're interested. Email me about it and you know we'll consider it. I'm not going to say yes to everybody. I have to, you know, I don't want too much redundancy of the same thing we already have. And, you know, i got to believe that there's enough topics that we're going to get enough questions for you. But just wanted you guys to know where we're at with that. Next up, last week we talked about uh, the concept of the uh, modern renaissance man and how there's another name for that. And it's, it's, it's called a polymath. And a polymath, again, just somebody that excels at many things. And we talked last week about how that if you look up modern renaissance men, you'll see the media fawning over some billionaires and, and, and speaking as though that's what a modern renaissance man is. And basically being able to do everything very, very well and being philanthropic and, and what have you. That's, that's, that's the media. So it's not true. Uh, Cause that's usually how it works. The media, the concept again, it is just being really versatile. And so it's not something you can't achieve. and, As we talked about that, it prompted Denise to come by the blog, and Denise said the following about this, and I really like this comment, so I decided to put on today's show. The beauty about being a polymath is that everything tends to follow similar structure. In other words, if you learn a few concepts and systems really well, then many others follow a similar structure or have various aspects that are greatly similar. For example, transportation infrastructure, the cardiovascular system, And computer networks follow similar patterns, largely known as network science. Eventually, especially if you enjoy and seek out knowledge for personal development and growth, you will eventually be good, if not great, at many things because these patterns will unfold before you, given what you already understand, and you will intuitively know what questions to ask and what basic things to do in each field or project. It's a wonderful thing in being able to do a lot of things yourself instead of paying for everything traditionally, traditional and modern, modernly. Um, yeah, I completely agree. It, what it made me actually think of, and the way, reason I want to talk about it just for a bit today, is the, this is actually one of the things that people that are considered to be of high IQ have. And some of the most accurate IQ tests that we can give, because remember, IQ is really about the person's ability to learn. So if you take somebody that hasn't yet been taught to read, for instance, they might perform really poorly on an IQ test where you have to read to be able to take the test. But does it actually judge their intelligence? No, because it's judging them based on what they have or have not yet learned. So one of the ways that that researchers have done IQ tests, and again, this has been shown to be very, very accurate, uh, where you have to go into areas where languages are different and things like that, is through shapes and patterns. And they'll show you a series of shapes and patterns and which one comes next in this pattern. And people with really high IQs test very well in this situation. And I think it's why, in a lot of situations, people with high IQs, if, if they're not predisposed to go into astrophysics or something like that, if they just want to live a normal freaking life, um, tend to get very frustrated with the people around them. Because it ain't that hard. And, and I wonder sometimes if, if people with high IQs basically cheat uh, into that high IQ just with pattern recognition. And Because here's here's what I mean by that. I can teach you to do pattern recognition, and then you will function with a much higher IQ score, but you're really the same person. And I think a lot of times, many of us that, that are considered highly intelligent, we just have a natural disposition to see patterns and systems Everywhere we look, it's a gift to be able to see it, but it's not something that you can't obtain. And then once you do, then it's the same. Because now you think that way. And, and I think you'll, you, you, I've seen in, in this audience a lot of people writing me over the years begin to experience this um, just from being constantly exposed to it. Oh, this is like that. And if you think about it, it's the way that we intrinsically teach people. Well, you don't know this thing, but you do know that thing. Let's explain the correlations between the two of them. So I, I think that there's a lot of it, a lot that you can be encouraged about through that concept, to just start again recognizing the patterns. And the patterns are not just – I think that's the big thing, that you, you have to kind of get past. It's really easy to teach somebody to start seeing physical patterns. Because we're visual, we look and we see the rings of a tree – and we see the rings of a celery plant are actually pretty similar, and we start to understand that structure, and then we can look at a fingerprint and see that it actually kind of looks a lot like tree rings in, in ways. And we can constantly like expand out from there like how all these patterns work. The structure of a cell is similar to the structure of an atom, which is so stru- similar to the structure of the solar system. They're not identical. they're not direct analogs, but they have similar structure, and they function based on that structure. That's the easy part. Understanding the pattern recognition of things that are not definitively visual is where everything really opens up. So the media pattern, how the media runs a story. They do it the same way. It's all the same shit regurgitated. That's where you get, oh, I don't want to hear this anymore, etc. et cetera. You know, uh, storytelling, sales formulas, teaching formulas, everything's the same. And so once you know that, then... You start to feel you start to appear to people that don't is very very high functioning because you simply can know where this is going but it isn't hard and I, I do think people that have this natural gift and I grew up with this natural ability um, until you understand that other people don't just function that way you get very very frustrated with people and what you don't feel like here's what people think people think that you feel like other people are stupid. No, you feel like other people are mentally lazy and apathetic and behaving like they're stupid when you know somebody's stupid it's actually easy oh you're stupid i'll stop trying it's when you feel like I know this person isn't stupid why are they why are they so lazy why don't they you know why are they making this hard and and I think that's a big part of it so I, I just wanted to bring that up and, and tell you I think it is one of the best things that you can do for yourself and your life, your career, everything. Is to work really hard on developing pattern recognition skills and apply that ident- identification of a pattern with either physically doing something or mentally deconstructing something or mentally reconstructing something. I don't really know how to put it any better than that, so we'll move on. So almost fitting dovetail perfect into that, uh, John Moore Park sent me an article. And it says as digital media publisher struggle. They should consider a TV like bundle. Imagine a bundled mobile product, one for a reasonable price per month that spits out news stories as they're published. Because nobody wants ten different subscriptions with usage rights and logins to remember. You can read the full story if you want. I have a link in the show notes. But basically, what they're saying is like all. And they talk about the layoffs at BuzzFeed and, and Huffington Post and all and. Uh, how they, those, those publications relied so much on, on, you know, like Google and Facebook, et cetera. And now they're not really getting a big bang out of that, even though they pumped tons of money in there with advertising. And, and it, they're basically just failing. And so what they're suggesting is that maybe you have a coalition of media. And that media coalition run through an aggregator for some sort of a fee. And then people can customize it. I'm like, there's so many apps that do that already. So why? Why would you do that, right? Like, you, like you can already do this. Um, your your iMac uh, you know, laptop, if you have a Mac laptop, they just shoved something in there that does that without telling you. They did it on the last software upgrade. They, they, I was like, what the hell is this crap? It started popping up. Uh, but that one does try to sell you individual subscriptions to certain sources and all. But let's look at pattern recognition here. What What is the pattern, not in this micro, but in the macro? What is the pattern that we're seeing? And that pattern at the top level is that people are kind of turning away from online media, at least the big online media, like HuffPost, etc. They're just not as enamored with it. And, and more than that, it's that their advertising doesn't make them any money. When people go to a website, they either employ blocking technology or they just go banner blind and they don't pay attention to it. And then the next part of that is even if they do have advertisers, they don't have any kind of relationship with their advertisers. Like No one thinks that this thing they see advertised at HuffPo is uh, something that the people at Huffington Post who really care about you want you to know about. Everybody knows how it works. It's just something that popped up through some sort of technology. You were on another site. You looked at it. They're using re- what's called retargeting, and they show it back to you, right? And some people get that, and some people think it's spooky or whatever, but that's all that it is. You, you went to a website. this installed a tracking cookie. When you went here, that website is advertising through the platform that they're delivering, and they know that if you looked at it once that you were a likely buyer, and they might be able to push you over the fence. It's basic marketing. And that, no, that's, that stuff's not working. So so why doesn't it work? Well, number one, it doesn't work because these people are building online media like offline media used to be done. You know, like there's buildings with the names of newspapers on it, right? And those are kind of coming down, aren't they? But, yeah, I mean, that's – and so they, what, they, what they do, they start one of these, these magazines, online magazines basically up. And then they have a staff of like 50 freaking writers, You know, an office space, and they're all in there and and, and convincing themselves they're more important than they are. They get enough money behind it initially to make it look snazzy. They advertise the crap out of it, and they pay for their traffic because they don't earn it. They can't uh, because what they're saying is not that original or interesting. And then they're trying to basically create advertising arbitrage. So they buy traffic and try to sell it for more than they paid for it. And if they do that long enough, even at a break even, they'll build a reader base and they can stop relying so much on advertising and then realize the revenue off the other side. And everybody's doing this game. And the same advertising bullshit's on everybody's websites. In a world where people have more information at their fingertips than they have ever needed before, and they can't figure out, have you seen the pattern? Have you seen this movie before? Why they're failing. Because people don't give a shit about them, and people don't feel that they are given a shit about. When you go read an article at Huffington Post, whether you like their left-leaning side or not, you don't think to yourself, gee, Ariana Huffington really cares about me. Many of, you, many of you didn't even know there was an Ariana Huffington. You didn't even know why they were called the Huffington Post until you just found out. So why would you care? Now contrast that to media personalities like myself. Love me or hate me. One thing you know, if you listen to this show, if I make a recommendation, I would spend my money on it. And I give a shit about you, even those of you that hate me and send me hate mail. I still care about you. And I would never make a recommendation knowing that it's a bad recommendation for you. And if I make a recommendation, it ends up being bad. I'll say, stop doing that. I was wrong. Where do you get that from big online media today? And you don't. And here's the thing. I'm not unique. I'm not special. I guess we're all special in our way, but what I mean, that, that concept is not unique and special. You, there's YouTube people that you follow that you feel that way about, or there's, you know, people on Instagram that you feel like you actually know them and their lives. And whether it's news or product recommendation or entertainment, more and more people are gravitating toward that than this generic idea of let's shove everything down your throat. Right? It just, it, That's that's where people are at today. And they're expecting more of that while media is giving them less of that. If I cover a news story, I'll say my opinion is they'll talk to you like you're supposed to believe them because they're coming from God on high. And I'm talking about online and offline media at this point. They are dying dinosaurs. They are going extinct. And the, the, the bigger pattern is this always happens every industry reaches a point where it can no longer keep pace with what technology has enabled and that industry either dies or it drastically changes their big problem is they're too top heavy they cost too much to operate it's, ri- it's ridiculous I've been running a podcast for 10 years plus almost 11 now I'm one person I do almost everything myself. I'll never be as polished as some of them are. But I could be without a staff of 50, for God's sakes. I could hire two people and I could produce NPR quality podcasts if I really wanted to. I don't see the point. I don't want to deal with that. I like the authenticity. But the people that are, if that's what they're doing, they're doing it with two or three people. They're not doing it with 50 or 60. There's no picture of twenty people with a with a laptop at a table like the Huffington Post had of all their women working there, you know it they, they doesn't exist. They cost too much. How much revenue do you have to make to pay all those freaking people, and how are you going to earn that revenue in this day and age where trust is the ultimate currency? When you clearly the type of uh, revenue model you're showing shows that there is no reason for anybody to trust you. And as far as the media goes, you keep get ca- getting caught in lies. That's the pattern guys and that's why they're dying and that doesn't mean media and news is dying that format is dying. It's the old school and this is what happens. They think they're in the modern age because they have a Twitter account an Instagram account and a Pinterest account and a Facebook account. It doesn't matter. You're still doing, they're still doing the same thing they've always done. Formulaic news marketed as being true news while it's opinion based with an agenda. And people are, you know what people are like today? You can have any agenda you want. You can be as opinion based as you want. Just flip and say it. Don't, don't be fake. And that's the real, that's the bigger, like, you see the even bigger pattern. They're all fake as shit. They're fake ass. And when you're fake ass in the time and place for authenticity, you're going to fail. So just, there you go. There's the real problem. They can wrap it up, spin it any way they want, but they are not going to change it unless they change the way they actually deliver information to where people actually care about the individual name writing the article. Because I'll bet you a lot of you read articles like, Huffington Post. And very few of you could tell me three of the authors you know, off the top of your head. And that's the, that's the truth about most online publications. And then there's only so much money left to squeeze out of this. Because all everybody's doing is pushing traffic around. And look at the advertisements. You know, 15 ways to lose weight while you sleep and other uh, take this and, and, and your cellulite will disappear and whatever. You, there's only so much money in that. It's sleaze merchantism. It's sleaze merchantism, and and you put all this together, and I don't know how they could expect a different result, but apparently they do. Yeah, I mean, in the end, look at it this way. A a, a site like mine, you know, we can make enough money to pay three of their staff, and we live like, great. If they make enough money to pay three of their staff, they're broke because they can't run their site with only three people. They can't compete because they have to – you guys got it. I don't have to say it anymore. It's a pattern. All right. Next up, I have a, an interesting question, and uh, I think it has a lot to do with how we think about things, and maybe we maybe it has a lot to do with us thinking we're more important than we are, or thinking our thoughts are more important than they are to people that don't even know we have them. All right. Um, here's what this guy says. This is Bob and Tam. This says, "How can I keep supporting unsupportable teachers, soldiers, police, Catholics, California disaster survivors, etc." Uh, where we draw the line, at some point, we really need to hold people accountable for their actions. Here's three examples. I say support, I support the troops, but not the government. War. Here's the problem. It's really hard for me to agree with that anymore. I just can't explain how any of the wars since World War II really ended up well for America. And much more so recently. At some point, I have to say, if you're joining up... You know that you are working for a government that's engaged in pretty much illegal conflicts. You're going to both, A, go fight that for them and do it knowing you won't be cared about adequately when you come back. Police. I support the police, but not the bad ones. You have often pointed out yourself, though, um, and from my business I know it's true, for every bad cop you see, there are ten right behind them that either said nothing or actively hid the truth. I get it. Their job is tough. If you can't handle that, maybe the job's not for you. At some point, I have to say, you know of bad cops that have been covered up and you're going to tell me about it and you aren't going to tell me about it. You made your own problem and you can't stop it. Teachers. I'm tired of listening to their BS. As have been said, they live in a fantasy world of government support. For decades, all I have heard is their pay sucks. Parents don't support you. You can't choose what kids there are. At some point, you have to say you are outdated, overskilled, undercompensated, and there are much better ways to do things. You knew the pay was low when you decided uh, summer's off was a better deal. Uh, just saying nothing and ignore them or even they'll all never shut up uh, and let them keep drinking their own Kool-Aid. Uh or is there a polite way you'd suggest in dealing with all of them and others like them, Bob and Tampa? Well Bob, let's start off with support. With support. Um I, I think that we have an ego problem as human beings, and we think that saying something like I support the troops really matters. It 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 doesn't. It doesn't feed them, it doesn't pay their retirement, it doesn't give them their medical help. Okay? You do support the troops because you pay taxes, but you're going to do that whether you want to support the troops or not. The same with law enforcement. You support law enforcement primarily by funding their salaries through the taxes that you pay, and the same thing with teachers. Your support is not anywhere near, and my support, and everybody's support from a standpoint of just, well, I support, like putting on a bumper sticker on your car, something really doesn't have any currency behind it. So I don't think there's this big mental... Quandary about do I support fill in the blank of class of citizen? See the reason I'll beat up on teachers at times and defend them at times is I don't believe in a protected class of society based on employment. Like I don't think you get to be an asshole, but I'm supposed, that I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be okay with it. Because you're a teacher. I don't think you get to be an asshole and I'm supposed to be okay with it because you're a priest. I don't think you get to be an asshole and I'm supposed to be okay with it because you're fill in the blank. I don't really care what you are. So I don't support the police. I don't support the troops. I support the people that I know, that actually matter, that do the job, that I feel are worthy of my support. That, that's how I look at it. I know cops, and I, I know a lot of people in the anarchist world say, there's no such thing as a good cop. I'm sorry, you're wrong. First of all, every human being goes through life and does their best to whatever their personal moral code is based on what they know, what they understand, and what they believe. So let's go back to the, the troops. thing. So you say right now that if you're joining up, you know that you're going off to fight an illegal war And that war generally hasn't worked out well for our country since World War II. Really? You really think the 19-year-old kid or the 22-year-old college grad that became a lieutenant in ROTC has any idea that what you just said is true? Do you really think they do? No, because they went through the public education system that you're complaining about, and they've had all the marketing done to them. And when I joined, I was 17 years old. I'm generally considered a very smart person. I believed what I was doing was good for my country, 100%. I am not going to shit on someone who does that because they believe they're really giving something to their country and they're serving their country. I know the average person when they get out of college and go into teaching really believes that they're going to help children and make a difference, and that's their real goal. I'm not going to shit on that. Now, I can support you as a person and still point out your bullshit. So when you come to me and go, well, I'm so underpaid, and I'm like, okay, well, you only work half of the year. No, I'm only off for three months. No, you only work about 180 days a year. You only work six months of the the year. You're off half the year in totality. The average person... You know, they're working about 75% of the year. You work about 25% less days. So we already have to take your salary and multiply it by 1.25 if we're going to actually talk about days worked. Well, I'm up till midnight. Then you suck at your job. Lots of people are up till midnight at their job because they suck at it. And some people are up to their job because they have to actually work. You don't actually have to, actually have to work till midnight. You have shit you've got to get done. You need to figure out how to be more efficient at it. Well, you don't like teachers. I, that, nothing I said. I'm talking to the person bitching, and that's how you that's how you bifurcated to me. I know people in my life that are personal friends of mine that are law enforcement officers. I know one guy right now. He's a sheriff's deputy. He's part of my family. He's a sheriff's deputy working in Colorado, but he's currently detached to the, the U.S. Marshals. Okay, now he was a Fed. That's even worse, right? No. They're working in human trafficking. They're taking down people that are turning little girls into sex slaves. I don't care what happens to that person once they're in the system, if that's what they're really doing. I don't give a shit if those people get thrown into a leaf shredder. So you can tell me about the abuses in our prison system, and I get it, but for that person I don't care. So that officer's work is solid work, and I'm happy to support what he's doing. But in the end, do I really support him? No, I just agree with it. I'm deluding myself if I think that man needs me to think he's doing good to continue doing what he's doing. The the, the fact is the government is a parasitic system. But it's what we have. It's what most people come up with, and most people cannot possibly conceive of a world without it. It takes a long time. The people that are the hardest on cops, the hardest... On government, The hardest on the average person who can't understand a way out of it are the ones that held out the longest thinking it was necessary. One day they had their epiphany and all of a sudden they're like, wow, we really don't need government for all this shit. Even the is a stupid argument. We, it, and if nothing else, at least we could cut this shit down to 10% of what it is. And then they expect everybody else to understand what took them their entire life up to that point to reach that tipping point for themselves. And then they judge everybody on how they're acting today based on what they've come to realize now rather than the person they were before they did. You might find that if you do that, you are very much like those people, and it's okay for you to have your own opinions, and it's okay for you to believe and work and advocate for a different way. Those people do not require your support. What you think your support is isn't that much support anyway. Live your life. Judge each man by his deeds. Judge each woman by her deeds. If you don't think there were good men, for instance, that served in the German army during World War II, you are in denial of reality. One of those good men saved the life of my father-in-law, who's now passed away, who was a hero by the time he was 14 years of age. And he saved his life by turning his head and letting him get away. Was that not a good man just because he was, quote-unquote, a Nazi? Every government sucks its citizens into its systems. We can wail against the systems, but we should still understand the real people that are there doing the best they can in the situation they're in. That's how I justify it. In the end, you have to figure out how you want to justify it. Maybe you think, I'm an asshole. Well, Joe, um, from Sweet Streams Lavender Company, thinks I'm an asshole, but in a good way. Uh, As we move on to the next story, he says, Jack, I've been listening to you for five years now for one reason and one reason alone. I wanted to be more prepared for a disaster. I wanted to put food and water up, be ready, and overall have an excuse to buy some fun toys. Okay, so that's a few reasons. But being the honorable person you are, you forced your way into my thinking, and you have completely ruined my life. Yesterday, because of you, I was forced to drive across town uh, to be at uh, one of our market type events early so that I could meet a local news station. They were covering the event and selected us to tell them about our lavender products and the benefits. To top that off, I had to stay there for a whole 15 minutes longer than the live interview so they could film another few-minute highlight video. Uh, they ran at 5 o'clock as well. Now my mailing list is exploding. We have even more online orders we have to fulfill, and I'm just not sure we have enough product until spring. Because of you, my wife and I will be planting another 1,500 plants this spring on our farm, and our business has been getting to the point we have people seeking us out as a destination, as a supplier, a wholesaler, a partner in other ventures. I'm exhausted all because of you and the side hustles you recommend. In all seriousness, Jack, thank you. Between you, with all the business advice, Jeff Lawton's attention to my question as we were starting out our planning plans, and my wife's amazing interpersonal skills, our company Sweet Streams Lavender, has been growing faster than we can keep up. We owe you a lot, so thank you, Jerk Joe. Hey, Joe, man, thanks, thanks for that email. Those emails make my day. The more of those I get, the more I feel like uh, my, my, my efforts and my goals are actually happening. Like, this is what I want for people. And it's not going to be this thing for everybody, but I want something for everyone to where you look around one day and go, my life is entirely different, entirely better because of this jerk that I listen to on a podcast who keeps making me do new shit and thinking a new way. So, man, thanks a lot. Uh, The company is SweetStreamsLavender.com. I'll put a link in the show notes for Joe, and you guys can check out his site, though you might be backordered, it seems. So. You know, guys, it, it really, you do have control over the destination that your life is headed to. You really do. This is just one more example of that. All right, so up next, um, we have a question about making cheese. And Dean, who asked this question, you got lucky, man. I wasn't even going to take this because I've never really made cheese other than yogurt cheese before. And it's just not something that I've really like decided like I want to add that to my skill set. And I got your email, and one of my favorite YouTubers, Suvi Everything, also known as Guka Foods, got two channels all about cooking, put out a video today, and it caught my attention. It's on making cheese sous So let's give you Dean's question. He says, a new skill I would like to add is that of a cheesemaker. I think it would be great for your show or your podcast or even a new YouTube series. I read a couple of books on the subject and always... Helps to get the tricks of the process from someone who's done it before. Not many people offer this class around me, so I'd like to travel. A lo- I'd have to travel a long way to attend a class. So I'm sure most of your audience would be in the same boat. Thanks for everything, Jack Dean. Okay, Dean, I'm going to say something. Just effing do it. Everybody that ever made cheese had to do it one time, the first time, and just effing do it. Don't worry about tips and tricks. Freaking do it and see how it comes out. That said. Uh this video I'm going to give you is going to tell you how to make cheese with the following ingredients. Whole milk, plain old regular whole milk, vinegar, a little bit of butter, uh hot water, and a cheesecloth and a mold. And a sous vide machine. I got got to put that in there. a yeah, sous vide machine. Uh you don't have to, you could I'm telling you you could watch this video. You could follow this video and you could figure out how to make it without sous vide machine. But I've always, when I've looked at the making cheese process, getting something to a temperature and holding it at that temperature and then doing something while it's at that temperature, I don't like it. I don't like screwing around with it. That's one of the reasons I am not an all-grain beer brewer. I've done it a couple times so that I could get myself through it. But I like to basically make my life easy and simple, and I want my hobbies to be things I really enjoy, and I don't want to see them like work. So if you need to bring your milk to 175 degrees... And you have two containers, one that can fit in the other, and in the, in- the inside container you fill it up with milk, and the outside container you fill it up with water to the level of the milk. And you stick your little Anova or your Joule sous vide thing in there, and you dial that sucker to 175 degrees, and you push go. Guess what? <laughs> You're gonna get 175 freaking degrees, right? It's gonna it's gonna happen, and it's gonna hold right there until you do what you gotta do. So I'm going to give you the basic process that I saw this dude do. Now, this is kind of a soft cheese, like a queso blanco. Um, but he put the milk in the one container, put the one container in the other container, filled it up with water, set the ANOVA to 175 degrees, got it there. He dumped some vinegar in, the cheese curdled. He put some cheesecloth in a strainer and strained off the whey. He then melted about a tablespoon of butter and mixed it into the cheese, added some salt, gave it a taste, and put it into this little slick mold you get on Amazon and let it sit in the refrigerator overnight, and you had geez, it was that easy. But I want tips. No, do it. I'll give you the link to the video. He's got all the products that he uses there. Um, I'll probably be adding those to T-SPAS, but right now it's his video. You know, I don't, I'm not greedy, I don't have to have every scrap of you know, referral affiliate business. Check out his channel, check out his video. Um, I'm probably gonna buy I was already really close to because I've been doing all my CV in pots. And I've been really close to buying the big square plastic thing that he uses in his videos with a lid and everything. And you buy that one and the smaller one, it seems perfect like it's a double boiler for making cheese. Um, he didn't use any kind of, you know, synthetic or real rennet or anything. He used vinegar. It looks really good. I'm gonna give it a try. You should too. And then you have a baseline to build from. And I'm already thinking, I could do a lot with this basic cheese recipe, and it all starts off with me. You guys know, somebody said recently on, on Facebook, with you it's always jalapenos, Jack. I'm like, yeah, it is, and that's where we're going to go. We're going to make us some some peppered uh, queso blanco. It should be really good, and I will share that when I put it out as well. Um, next up, Benny says, how will my business survive in three years when a retarded neighboring state, Massachusetts, mandates a minimum wage of $15 an hour and destroys the local economy and most businesses, I am 20 minutes from the border. Details, I haven't really seen you address the $15 minimum wage issue, but I could have easily missed it. I own a takeout pizza and deli convenience store in New Hampshire, partially inspired by being a long-term listener to your show. We currently pay an entry-level cashier at 10 to $11 an hour and a pizza maker at 12 to 14 However, once you set the lowest bar to fifteen and have to increase everyone 's pay retrospectively, what the f we 're talking about someone making forty thousand a year to make round ball, round dough ball into a round pizza Goodbye to profit in the food industry. I guess college really wasn 't worth it we 're close enough to the border that people will travel for a pay raise. any larger business spanning the two states will default to Massachusetts pay level. Our financials currently support a moderate level of living uh, to a couple and no children. Of course, there will be a huge inflationary reaction to the $15 an hour pay raise and the prices we we can charge for goods, but but that won't gap the distance, especially when people north of us won't be seeing any pay increases. Uh, No small business will be able to take this huge hit. I can't help, but I just see government Armageddon plowing into my business, It's hard for me to continue to invest in my dream because I'm consumed by government title wage wave. Insight, help, suggestions, distress to New Hampshire. Benny, I can't speak to everything here because I don't know your business, your cost of goods and all that, but I'm going to tell you that I think that you maybe are overreacting to this. You say people will charge for a pay raise, drive, you know, travel for a raise in pay. Don't you think that somebody doing your job in Massachusetts already gets paid more than you're paying? Don't you think that a lot of people that are doing the exact job, they, they, if, if you're paying right now, you're telling me you're paying 10 to $11 an hour for a cashier, an entry-level cashier, you're giving somebody 12 to 14 bucks to, to roll dough into pizza, you, you don't think that they're already making close to $15 an hour in, in Massachusetts? Of course they are. Of course they are. And will how far will a person travel for a $15 an hour job? Today. Not 1985, today. Especially when they can get a job making twelve, fourteen dollars an hour making pizza, where you're at. And in the end, when you do have to raise wages, and sooner or later we all do, because that's the competitive market that we're in, you raise prices. I mean, it, it, that I mean that's that's it. And well, you know, will people further north that come down to do business with you pay and absorb the prices? I think one thing in the restaurant industry, I think people are on the on the selling side are way too overpriced sensitive and try to go way too low in the first place. For instance, we had this restaurant that was uh, an upper level restaurant too. They were charging, I think, for this dish it was like fourteen bucks, and it was uh with our duck egg, and it was a sweet potato chip, like. With duck confit on it, almost like a like a like a a weird kind of nacho. See, it's sweet potato chips, duck confit, and an open face, uh, you know, uh, uh, sunny side up, nine mile farm, big old duck egg sitting right on top of it. They were buying twenty dozen eggs a week from us, twenty dozen a week, one egg to one plate every week, and they would sometimes call and say, "Can we have a couple extra this week? We, We ran out last week." Okay. Eventually, they decided to stop using our eggs because it was costing them too much money. And my response was, why don't you just raise the price of the plate by a dollar and not worry about it anymore? Because they were going to an egg, they didn't really like it as much, but since it was closer and they could get it delivered instead of using a service, it would save them about $2 a dozen. So they left us over $2 a dozen, got an inferior product, then decided to take it off the, the the dish off the menu because they they did not want to do it with the product they could get from another uh, grower. And when they when they did finally come back to us, it was like we're not in the business anymore. Now, a place that's selling an appetizer dish for fourteen dollars a plate, no consumers walking in that door and not paying a dollar more for that plate. No one's making a decision on a dollar when they go to a restaurant like that. I know yours probably isn't that high end. But if you had to raise the price of everything basically 50 cents, I, I I would go do that now and see what happens. I would just just, you know, a few things, not everything, but a few of your items. Raise the price 50 cents, see what happens. See if anybody even gives a shit. You might be surprised. I, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I've said the first thing you should do is raise your price. Oh, I can't, I can't. There's a guy I was trying to work with and get you guys is an MSB discounter that sells copper stills. And I, I asked him about doing a discount for MSB. Oh, I, I can't afford to. I don't make enough money. I'm like, what you're doing, if you're not making enough money to discount it, you're not charging enough. Oh, they'll buy somebody else's. I'm like, Nobody's bu- nobody that's buying a $1,000 still set is going to not buy it because it's $1,050. It's not going to happen. So I'm not saying you don't have a problem at all. I'm just saying I think the problem has gotten in your head bigger than it is. You need to focus on building your business and your customer loyalty and your uniqueness and what's special about what you offer, regardless of what government does. Entrepreneurs succeed by adapting to whatever situation government creates because if you don't think it's effed up now, give government a week and they will eff something up for you. They constantly cause problems for business. Your job as an entrepreneur is improvise, adapt, and overcome. I I don't think you're going to have a huge change here, especially with the wages you tell me that you're paying right now, especially with the wages you're telling me you're paying right now, because what else does a person that works in Massachusetts have to do? They have to pay Massachusetts taxes. Maybe you didn't know this. So I live in New Hampshire. I'm not I'm a New Hampshire resident. I'm not going to pay evil New Hampshire their income taxes. We, if you work in in Massachusetts you are, uh, I'm sorry. I'm not going to pay evil New Massachusetts their income tax. If you have a job in Massachusetts you will. You can live wherever you want. You work in Massachusetts, you pay Massachusetts state income tax. Figure out what that impact is retroactive against this big giant raise. While this all happens and prices do go up around, you go up with them accordingly and you give people a dollar an hour raise and you think it really changes the the calculus that much? It probably doesn't. I think you're overreacting to this because you have so much into your business. The solution is not take something out of it, but put more in. Build your business to the point where people love doing business with you and you will be able to, because in the end, it's a market force. It's a market force decision. And if everybody, what if, every, what if your whole little town is going to drop and blow away, and there'll be nothing there anymore because of this? That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Um, I'm not pro raising minimum wage. I'm not pro minimum wage at all. But I do think that we're we're, we're actually starting to reach a point where, where a $15 an hour minimum wage won't really change much because we already have so many very low skill workers being paid 11 to $13 an hour entry-level low-skill workers because it's just that hard to get people now. You notice they keep talking about minimum wage is $7 or whatever cents an hour. Who works for that? In the words of expert counsel Sue LaPriese, if you do, if you don't want minimum wage, stop being a minimum person. Anyway, I just don't get too upset about this. Um, Dylan says, what are some common methods to incorporate minerals into homestead food with regards to the interview last week where you mentioned remineralizing soil. Real quick, I did talk about ways to amend soil last week as well, uh, and one of the things I said was to use dry molasses uh, on your soil. Triple, who's a longtime listener, good friend of the family, if you seen my videos with the big, giant square tubs that I'm incorporating to an aquaponics system, uh, he got me those. Those were for feeding, ironically, molasses to cattle. He scavenged them when he was out and traveling one time. Anyway, here's, he says, Jack, for garden preparation, considered using sweet feed for livestock. All feed stores carry it, and the molasses is pressed into the pellets. In addition, it is usually a dollar or two cheaper than chicken feed. Triple thank yous. Hit that one real quick, and then we'll get into being more specific to Dylan's question. When I first saw that, I kind of scanned that. I said, yeah, you don't want to use sweet feed because sweet feed has grain in it, and the grain can sprout, and all of a sudden you're growing hay in your garden. But he's right. Like, um, I don't know when, but it's a while back anyway. It went to where when you got sweet feed, it was always like mealed up pellets. It used to be like pieces of barley and wheat, almost like a scratch feed, um, and it it, it it was like a molasses coating on it, almost like a caramelized grain. And that grain can and did at times sprout. It wasn't a high sprout rate, but it was enough that you probably want to do it. But yeah, like all sweet feed now is these pellets. And the reason I know that is because it makes it a little more complicated to uh, make a certain kind of fuel. A certain kind of fuel that you can make that you make in a thing called, a, like we just talked about, called a still. And uh, sweet feed is actually, sweet feed moonshine is one of the kind of old shiners' quick, simple, simple hack secrets. And it's a little bit more of a pain in the ass to do today because everything goes into this dust uh, in your mash. And when that gets cooked off of a still, it can cause some problems. But if you use a mile-high moonshine still that uses a water heater element and it doesn't heat from the bottom well, it really ain't a problem no more. Anyway, let's go with that. I I think it's a great use. And actually, you know, I said take like old cheap-ass chicken feed and dry molasses. Well, you're doing it all in one. And it made me think. I do have a bag that's out there. It's probably been laying around too long to make fuel out of it anymore. That it's going to get used for that because I have a couple of beds to amend this week. So thanks, Tribble. Let's talk about remineralizing soil, though, and what we're really talking about there. So I think this came up during the discussion that I had with uh, Dr. Lewis. And we were talking about, you know, how lacking in mineral and nutrients our, our produce is anymore. And a big part of that is because the soil has been demineralized. And to a degree it has but not really. The reality is that if we look at mineral levels in a lot of soils across the United States, they do appear low. But I don't think we understand you know how small an amount a microgram is right it's, it's, it's not a lot and the uh, plants to grow healthy and, and taking as much as they're going to take don't actually need a lot of minerals if everything is healthy and doing what it's supposed to do. By putting in additional mineral supplements, there's so much more mineral available, as long as we don't get too much and create a toxic effect, that the plant just, it, 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 even if it's poorly accessing them, it grabs on enough bits to do well. And, But we have to ask ourselves, so if, if a, a tablespoon of dirt that even seems poor quality for instance, has a very small amount of iron, but in that tablespoon of dirt, there is all the iron this spinach plant needs to grow and more. Why can't get that spinach, get that iron out of that tablespoon of dirt? And since it's sitting in a metric shit ton of dirt, and that means there's a metric shit ton more than it needs, why can't it get that either? And the answer is mostly, and this is where I think that, when you're doing home, when you're gardening and using just even good organic gardening practices, you're going to have fairly mineral rich vegetables compared to anything you buy in the store. It's, it's because of the biology in the soil. The spinach plant, or it doesn't matter, I'm just using spinach, and it could be any plant that needs iron, for instance, can't just take the iron as it sits in the soil out of the soil. It can't get to it. It's locked up. There are different microorganisms that can convert that iron through different processes. The most common which is that they actually consume some other component in that soil that has the iron in it. And when they poop it out, that iron is now bioavailable to the spinach plant. So the spinach plant, using innate intelligence, it doesn't think about this. I'm describing it as though it does, but this is the innate biological intelligence of life itself that we're talking about here. I'm just using this as an analogy to make it easier to understand that spinach plant is like, I need iron. So it squeezes out something called an exudate out of its roots. It's a little globule of basically, you can think of it like cookies and cakes. It's mostly carbohydrate, That's a little bit of protein, and a little bit of fat. Right? That's how you make cookies and cakes. So it makes a little cookie or cake globule. And that particular microorganism that's rich in iron, or can help it get iron, is specifically attracted to that specific type of cookie. So it's like, I need iron, so I'm going to put out some iron cookie globules, And all my little friends are going to come over here and yum, 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 yum yum on it. And when they poop, they're going to leave behind iron that I can now get to. Again, it's an analogy. It's not directly. The spinach plant doesn't really think this, okay? Um, But that's what it's doing. And if the soil life is dead, if we're talking about inert dirt, those critters, those creatures are not there, so part of it is building up the microorganisms and the biological life that we want in the soil, and building up to the point where they outcompete things like anaerobic bacterium that we don't want in our soil. We want beneficial nematodes, not nematodes that actually are damaging. There's both kinds. So we have to build up all that soil life. So the primary way we do that is with additions of organic matter, and that is in, in essence, is mulching compost. Mulch, compost, and manures, and composted manures for the manures that need to be composted. The number one thing we can do. The next thing is, though, that um, some manures are actually not very high in nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus, et cetera, but they are incredibly high in minerals and biological components that help improve soil quality. I've mentioned this, and I'm, I'm just starting to play around with it to make sure it does what they say it does, but I have found a, uh, a new company that is doing a fertilizer product that basically their, their their main business is their catfish farm. And they harvest the catfish poop. They've built a special system so that instead of the poop just going to the bottom of the of the of the lakes cuz they're growing them in lakes, you know, t- we would call them tanks in Texas, but they're ponds in the ground. Uh, but they built a system so that all of that stuff is harvested. And it's a, it looks like an incredible product. So using products like that the number one way you can get minerals, though, into your plants is through the use of um, sea, sea kelp, liquid seaweed. I mean, that's that, there is every mineral that plant could want and 100% bioavailable. And here's why you want to take a blended approach. When we start our garden and the soil is still relatively cold, the biology in that soil is either asleep or moving really slow. You know, microbes are not like humans where you're awake, you're asleep. And awake is awake and asleep is asleep. It's more like a dimmer switch. It gets warmer, they move a little bit more. They do a little bit more, they eat a little bit more. It gets colder, they go more and more dormant. So if we're not kind of kickstarting our plants in a a world where our soil is not quite as great as it used to be, um, those plants can develop deficiencies that are hard to come back from down the road. And then we need additional supplementation. On top of it, we want... Healthy soil has not just um, good bacteria and, and good microorganisms; it's also rich in fungi, beneficial fungi. So, inoculation with mycorrhizal fungi is is important as well. And I have products for all this that I recommend: uh, liquid kelp, uh, the garret juice, um, calcium, and like, there, there are there are four. Uh, minerals that that plants in gardens and and ornamentals most likely can become uh, deficient in while you're building your soil. And those are calcium, magnesium, iron, and zinc. So I have a a chelated product for both calcium and magnesium and one for iron and zinc. And I have a mycorrhizal fungi. And they can all be found under the tag Fertility at the Survival Podcast. I'll put a link in the show notes today. But, But the big thing, again, is compost and compost tea, mulch, Good quality organic fertilizers. Supplement those big um, macronutrients when necessary. Whenever you see any level of deficiency, take care of your soil. Keep your soil moist. Don't overwater it. And always continuously add mulch. As your mulch breaks down, add another layer. When you need to fertilize, pull the mulch back. Put the fertilizer on. Stick the mulch back where it was. It's really simple. Um, it, It is more complicated on a broad acre scale there's really, in my opinion, no fast way to do it without ruminants. It can be done completely vegetatively. You can do it with crops and rotations and, and, and very specific types of plowing, but it's a lot of work. I know a guy doing it in Missouri, and what he's doing is amazing. But even he admits, if I if I bring you know cattle and chickens into this system, it would go so much faster. And so on a broad acre, that's not what I'm going to get in today, but that's done mostly with cattle or other ruminants. We can move the, 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 the green matter through their system, and we can also supplement their minerals. And if we're doing things like offering ruminants, uh, free choice mineral supplementation, so when that cow feels like it needs some more calcium, there's just a block it can lick, then they're going to put those minerals through their body, into their manure, and we're going remi- to re- uh, remineralize the whole damn pasture. It, it's what people like Darby Simpson are doing with pastured pork and beef and chickens. It's, it's exactly what they're doing is remineralizing that soil and changing it. Anyway, hope that helps you. Let's move on. we got one more before we wrap up for the day. Um, this is from Austin. He says, question on child's education. With the coming educational collapse, what advice would you give someone with a young child? My wife and I make a good income and can afford to put our child into a Christian-based Montessori school that we love. However, that option will end in about six years. He'll be too old for the school. What can we do to prepare for coming modern educational collapse? For argument's sake, cover us being able to homeschool and what to do with both parents' work. Thank you, Austin. I might throw this for additional fodder over to uh, Mike and Sue Lapreze because they're the homeschool experts. Let me explain, though, what I mean about the collapse of the modern education system. I don't mean that all of a sudden there's going to be a whole bunch of kids not able to go anywhere and learn anything, and you're going to be sitting there with a kid that you can't figure out how to educate. I mean that the schools themselves are going to change the way they operate. They're going to go to more online models. Kids are going to stay home more frequently. Teachers are going to get laid off. Technology will become the primary teacher. And it's because it works better and it makes sense. And that is probably like a 10-year process to see it really get to the point where... The tipping point is not there, but it's been reached, and everybody can see that it's coming, and everybody will be like, what do we do? You will be able to have your kid educated. Let's talk about the first advantage you have. You are sending your kid to Montessori School. It is an outstanding method of education, in my opinion. They're very good about teaching kids to be self-directed learners and to take responsibility and initiative for their own learning and for all the shit that I beat up on the public education system for. You can get an education in public school if you want one, and if you are a self-directed, motivated learner. You might bump some heads and stuff like that, but you can get out of it what you need to get out of it, and you can get the grades you need out of it if you want it. So your kids will be just fine if they have to go to public school. I would prefer they didn't have to go, but they'll be okay. They'll be better suited to deal with it than most of the kids that have been there the entire time. As far as homeschooling, we cover that all the time, so I'll refer you back to past episodes, and like I say, Tune in on the expert counsel shows for, for what Mike and Sue have to say. Um, and I probably will kick this one to them to uh, again address once again the question, how do we public, how do we homeschool when both parents work? Um, every decision in your life affects other parts of your life. If you both want to work, then you probably can't homeschool. Then you probably have to find some other alternative to that. Maybe it's providing additional educational resources for your children in addition to public school. Maybe it's as they get older going with more of an online learning program because most schools now you can send your kids basically to Internet public school from home. You know, Then you have to figure out, well, how do you see to that child's needs when you're not there? The older they get, the more they can actually. I mean, I know this is crazy, but there was actually a time when kids that were like, 12 years old, were at home, and no parents were there. There was a whole decade like that. It was called the 80s. Like, kids in my grade, when I was a kid, we came home, mom and dad were at work, you had a key, they called us latchkey kids. There was a name for us. We did okay. We're the people running the tech companies today. We're the people that are captains of industry today. Gen X, man. So you can probably get to a point where maybe that that it's not a constant childcare need. I don't know how old your kid will be when this happens, but I will tell you that a babysitter costs less than a private school, right? So you know you maybe you come up with some sort of a solution like that, where the child does most of their learning on their own. You provide what they need when you can. Because the, the, it, it doesn't have, you know, if you're doing a true homeschool and using some sort of an online platform as a basis to help guide you along, and I would do that before actually using their online version, because then you're just moving the classroom. And then they're judging your pace. See, so if you do that, it doesn't matter that it took two weeks to do someone's supposed to take one. It don't matter. It's okay. You don't get, it. that's one of the biggest things I learned from homeschoolers that, that do it well. We don't get upset. If we have two kids that are roughly the same age, covering the same material, it takes one two weeks to get through it, and one a week to get through it. We don't worry about it, because next month there'll be something that that kid gets through in one, and the other kid takes two to get through. It's okay. So you let them do what they can on their own. You do the thing that moms and dads have done their whole life, which is when you're home from work, and you look at how can I how can I alter things in my world of employment? Can one of us work from home? Working from home is not a, vile, a valid child care solution. For a child that really needs looking after, it really isn't. I know people say it is. It's not. If you have a, a three-year-old running around the house, doing what three-year-olds do, and you have a job that really needs to get done, those two things are incompatible. It just doesn't work. Um, it does work with a 12-year-old that's been well-disciplined to know now it's time for study. It absolutely does. Mom's working. Back to work. You know, can you figure out a way that maybe one of you can work two days a week from home, the other can work two days a week from home, and maybe you need to hire somebody in on Wednesdays or whatever. You know, you got six years to figure this out. And that's what I would, if you really don't want to send them to, to government school and who the hell does really want to, then you can figure something out over the next six years. I'm going to kick this one to Mike and Sue and see what additional thoughts they have on it for Friday's Expert Council Q&A show. With that, we have wrapped up another episode of the Survival Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, time for us to talk about a way you can help support us in a really, really easy way. That's doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. If you're going to buy some online, go to tspaz.com first, and you can get over to Amazon from there, and anything you buy If you shop through tspaz.com, help support the Survival Podcast and the work that we do. Here is the product of the day that I have for you guys today, though, because every day I review an item or I bring back an item I have previously reviewed and say, hey, this is something I use. This is why I use it. And it's really great, and I recommend that you use it too. And unlike most sites that do reviews of products online, I don't just say, hey, look, uh, I want to sell food processors today. I'll take the top five selling food processors to make a grid and say, you should buy this one. And if you can't afford this one, then buy this one. And I've never touched any of them, used any of them, don't know jack shit about them, basing all my opinions on, on reading other sites that do the same thing and reading reviews. That's, that's not me. If I don't buy it, if I don't spend my money on it, I don't recommend it, you know? Uh, Today's item, I've recommended it before. I'm bringing it back around today. Uh, JB Weld Water Weld Underwater Epoxy Putty. This stuff's awesome. Now, most people are familiar with JB Weld Epoxies. Why the water epoxy? And it's very simple. I believe in standardizing wherever you can and specializing where necessary. I've talked to you guys about that and how you design your life for years. You know, you go to look at the plumbing on my property, it's half inch or it's one inch. And in some very specialized needs, it's two inch. A little three quarter mixed in until I can finally get the last of it gone. But it's only because people that own the property before me stuck it in. That way I have one set of fittings for half inch, one for one inch. I can do anything. Right, Standardize where you can, specialize where you need to. So if I take JB Weld water rated epoxy putty and mix it up and use it somewhere where there isn't water, it will work. If I put it somewhere where there is water, it will work. If I take the non-water rated epoxy and put it somewhere there's water, it won't work. Guess what? They cost about the same. See, so having one of each is dumb. You just standardize on the water weld and it does everything you could ever ask out of JB Weld. The stuff comes in a tube and it's got two parts to it like all epoxies do. But it's in like, it looks like a jelly roll. There's one is in the middle and the other's on the outside. So you just cut a piece off the size you need, peel the plastic off it, and start mashing it and mixing it. And you mix it until it's a uniform color. You apply it where you need it, and this stuff works. In the article, I explain the things you have to do, for instance, if you're actually, you know, putting it on something that is currently wet. You can do it. It will work. But if it's cold water, your hands are going to be cold by the time you're done. But sometimes that's preferable to the alternative. I used it to, to to fix a problem I had with a metal stock tank underwater. It worked just fine. You guys can trust me. This is good stuff. Check it out. You'll find it at tspaz.com. You'll find it at the survivalpodcast.com if you just scroll down under the recent reviews. And everything I've ever reviewed, you can find alphabetically listed by category at tspaz.com, where if you shop from there, no matter what you buy, you help us in the end. All right, with that, let's talk about our song of the day today. Uh, song of the day today, we're starting a week called Lori McKenna Week. Lori's kind of the country, folksy uh, artist. Not one of my favorites. Um, and even the sound of the song, I'm not totally in love with the sound of this song, uh, especially the chorus. It's a little bit not my style, but I love the message of this song. And there's a certain part of it that I really love. Uh, and the song is called Grown Up Now, and it's basically... Uh, a mother looking at her child who 's now fully grown and ready to take on the world and I, I think that parents can be just annoying when they like you will never understand until you 're a parent having a child you know like when they get just over the top with it, but the reason people get over the top with it and ridiculous with it is because the base of it 's true. There are certain things that you will not understand about being a parent unless you are one, and there are certain things that you will not understand about things like this song until not only were you a parent, but you are the parent of a fully grown human that can make its own decisions. And I think you'll understand it even more when you become a grandparent. When I listen to this song, even though it's not like totally something that I just like the sound of, it resonates with me as a grandfather in understanding things so much deeper. There is a line in this song where the mother basically tells the child, kid, you taught me well. And that's a big part of being a parent, that as you go through life, you're helping the child grow, but the child teaches you how to be a parent. You didn't learn how to be a parent from your parents. You might have had good examples. You might have had a good foundation from there, but you didn't learn how to be a parent from your parents, assuming they raised you well, you learned how to be an adult from your parents. Again, assuming they actually were there in your life and raised you. Whoever filled that role, that's what they taught you how to do. They taught you how to become a young adult. And you you might model their behavior, but when it comes to learning to be a parent, you only can learn through doing. And by the time that child's fully grown, now you're actually fully trained. All along the way, you're not done yet. You haven't graduated yet. Until you get at least one across the finish line, you're not finished learning. Because, par- uh, trust me, I know, parenting a 16-year-old is way different than parenting a 6-year-old. In some ways, it's a lot easier. In some ways, it's a lot flippin' harder. This is why grandparents seem so smart. We actually went all the way through the course. Then we usually get to take a break. So there's a lot of kids still having children way too young now. But in general, we get a somewhat of a break. A few years to relax and not have kids to take care of. And then every single thing that you think is a big problem, we saw it before. And we seem so wise. But since we're grandparents and you're our kids, it's because you taught us well. something to think about. And remember that when you're not quite to that point yet, as you're raising those kids, they're teaching you. With that, it's been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
0: It's a big mean world how many times I've told you. But if you don't believe in magic, the meaner it will seem. Let my mistakes be the biggest ones you shoulder Make your dreams triumph my dreams You still never cease to amaze me You've made yourself some plans And you got somewhere to go Our time together these days is like aging Just wish we could all age slow. Cause you're a grown up now, a grown up now, a grown up now, and the future looks so. like a baby most of the time you're still the best damn thing in my whole life and i'll never give you half of what you gave me i think it's fair to say kid you taught me right because you're a grown up now on a picnic table with the same eyes that you have now and then I had you and your brothers and we were just babies so I sure don't know how you're a grown up now but you're a grown